Week number three is in the books of the inaugural XFL season. Four more decent games over the course of the weekend. And we are here to talk you through them as usual, as well as get you caught up with some news and give you a little sneak peek ahead of week number four. Um, You've probably already gathered I've got a slightly croaky croaky even throat this evening. Uh, And that's the same as my regular co-host, Michael. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, mate. Good stuff. Um, we have pushed the recording back 24 hours to try and get over the sore throats. The strepsils aren't quite doing the job, but we will persevere nonetheless. Let's get into it. First down. First down. So the weekend opened up as the Tampa Bay Vipers played at home for the first time in Raymond James Stadium a stadium you may well be familiar with if you watch the NFL and have watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because that's the stadium that they play in. Um, They were cheered on by the home crowd up against a difficult opponent in the Houston Roughnecks who came into this undefeated and obviously carrying with them probably the most potent quarterback and wide receiver combo in PJ Walker and Cam Phillips. And it was pretty much a similar story with regards to that duo Um, Cam Phillips for the second week running caught himself a hat-trick of touchdowns. PJ Walker continues to probably lead the early race for XFL MVP in its inaugural year. Um, He had himself another nice day, including finding the end zone himself on a scramble when actually off a botched snap um, on running to pick the ball up. He didn't panic, was actually able to escape the Tampa Bay defence and run it in from 11 yards out. As for Tampa, let's start the celebrations. They found the end zone for the first time. (laughs) Unbelievable. It's only taken three weeks and potentially a switch to the offensive coordinator, Jamie Elizondo. Apologies there if I've pronounced your name incorrectly, my friend. But certainly his play calling seemed to have a much more positive impact on the Vipers as the previously stalling red zone trips actually ended up netting some points in the first half was tied at 18 apiece going in at the break. But it always felt as though Houston just had a little bit in hand in this one. It always felt as though Tampa were just a score behind on the scoreboard. Um, And even when Dan Williams caught a screen pass in the second half to take that one to the house and bring Tampa back within striking distance, the Roughnecks just again pushed out. Cam Phillips picking up his third touchdown of the day. And it was ultimately sealed with a Taylor Cornelius pick um, with the last meaningful play of the game. Um, Cornelius getting the start once again for Tampa in this one. Um, I'm still not convinced personally about Quinton Flowers. Yes, he's moving the offense better when he's there. um, But I don't necessarily view him as a full-time starter. I think he'll be good to get Aaron Murray back. Don't know how long that injury is going to linger on for. Um, But obviously... They will certainly be looking for some improved um, and stability at the quarterback position. 
As for Houston, they, you know, and as you'll you'll find out when we go through the other games, are now the only undefeated team through three weeks. They've certainly got the leading light in the league at the receiver position in Cam Phillips and just go from strength to strength. Wasn't necessarily their best game, um, you know, but ultimately they did more than enough to get the job done in this one. Um, as for PJ Walker's final stat line, 306 yards and three touchdowns through the air, plus that scramble, you know, he, you know, like I say, probably very much leads the way when it comes to the MVP race. And as, you know, as for the running game in Houston, James Butler wasn't really needed all that often. But when he was used, he actually had a very nice day. Statistically, he averaged over 10 yards a rush, 72 yards from just the seven carries. Um, He also converted a successful two-point after attempt in this one as well. Um, I mentioned Dan Williams. He, like I say, caught a touchdown in the second half. He's probably emerged, if you like, as Tampa's main weapon. However, Jalen Tolliver, who was getting quite a bit of love in the build-up to the season, um, potentially somebody that could emerge. He was targeted 13 times on Saturday, and he caught eight balls for 104 yards. So a little bit of a shout-out to him. Um, He had himself a nice day. I think in terms of Tampa, um, signs are encouraging. Yes, they're the only team in the league yet to taste a victory which, of course, is no surprise because I decided to follow them. But with that being said, um, they certainly seem to be showing some life. Probably, in my view, not looking like the worst team in the league. We'll probably get onto that as we get onto Sunday's games because uh, I think a team further up the east coast of Florida might be... Ta- east coast of Florida. East coast of America might be taking that mantle from them currently. Um but, Michael, just come to you just for some quick thoughts on it. Um, I mean, again, impressive enough from the Roughnecks. Got the job done. Always difficult away from home. But, you know, signs of encouragement for Tampa, I would say. Oh, definitely. Uh, massive improvement week on week. Uh, but, unfortunately, again, to no avail. Houston just... And I don't want to get into this whole overreacting business because we can see, and we'll talk about that in Sunday's games, where overreacting gets us when it comes to teams. But they, they look amazing that... Cam Phillips' connection with PJ Walker is just is something sort of that is going to put a lot of teams on alert. Yeah, no, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how they continue to progress. Um, talking of a team that has shown week-to-week improvements and the results are bearing some fruit, that, of course, is the Dallas Renegades. They were on the road again in week two and made it back-to-back road victories, mate. Yeah, well, it was an entertaining game, but... Only if you were a Dallas fan, unfortunately. And unfortunately for me, I am not. Seattle improved and they improved the quarterback as well. Um, you know, Branton Silvers had a better game, but it still wasn't good enough just to, to, to get that win. Uh, the offense sort of lacks a bit of spark, a bit of an axe factor to sort of rely on. Silvers, 21 completions on 34 passes. He had 204 yards this week, two touchdowns and an interception. So, Improvement from his end, but not enough, as I was saying. His leading receivers, well, he went back to Austin Prowl and he got his, his yards back up. He had six of 81, six for 81, pardon me, and a touchdown. He also went back to Keenan Reynolds, four for 37, and Elijah Murph, three for 28. The running game is still split evenly between Kenneth Farrow and the other guys whose names have escaped me. One second. Gardner and Williams. So they they each had 
eight carries, eight with Farrell going for six, but he seems to be more of a pass catching back. He had three for 25 through the air and a touchdown. So positive signs in places, but overall, as I was saying, the offense is lacking that that X factor and that spark that, that, that a team needs to, to win games. Uh, overall, work needs done in Seattle, uh, but the crowds are still there. Centrelink Field had another 28,000-plus attendance, but the results are going to need to to improve if they're hoping to see those numbers back each week. But as you mentioned, Dallas had had another great win, another second road win in as many weeks for Landry Jones, Bob Stoops and the Renegades. I sort of, I would describe it as a case of fortune favours the brave. They went on the road, they threw the ball 41 times, didn't hold no punches, and ultimately it paid off well for them. Jones had 30 completed passes on those 41 attempts, 274 yards. He had three touchdowns and two interceptions, although one of the interceptions was just an amazing play by a Seattle defender, a ball thrown down the seam, tip drill caught by the safety. His second one, unfortunately, was a bit of a a lobbed ball. He just didn't have the arm strength to get the ball downfield, fell underneath, Seattle picked it off. But... A good, a good day overall from Dallas. Jones finds seven different receivers on the day, uh, with the bulk of the yard is going to Dal Parham, who had an impressive day of five receptions for 101 yards and two touchdowns. So by any standards, that's a good game. His longest play was a 65-yard touchdown reception from midfield, and he averaged just about 20 yards per reception. So he could be a bit of a weapon that Dallas might seem to lean on going forward on the offensive side of the ball. They also have Cameron Artis Payne, who had another good game in the air and on the ground. He had six catches for 30 yards and 13 rushes for 80 yards, averaging just over six yards a carry. And he continues, as he did last week, to, to show and display that Le'Veon Bell-style rush, the patience, the getting to the line, waiting for the, for the player to develop and taking advantage of it that way, as opposed to a Derek Henry-style runner who imposes as well. So another impressive game that way from Cameron Artis Payne. So Dallas are back home next week in a game which I think will be, and we'll talk more about later, uh, perhaps next week's game of the week against the Roughnecks. But Seattle travelled to a tricky St. Louis where their risk falling to 1-3. and three. So this week was high stakes, next week even higher stakes. But... I think changes need to happen in Seattle on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, it will be interesting. I think, you know, you were just alluded to it there, you know, Dallas big game for them next week to see how far they have come, you know, two impressive back-to-back wins. I think just in terms of Donald Parham in particular, um, you know, can really quite easily see him gaining some interest from NFL teams. You know, he's a big target at six foot eight. He's got a good turn of foot as well. You mentioned the 65-yarder. Um, he was actually sprinting away from coverage, you know, which is impressive for a guy of his size and stature. Um, it's a really impressive display overall from Dallas. Do do have to say, and I've just written about it in the takeaways article for this week. I do quite like the Seattle defenders putting the ski mask on, mate. Every time they get a takeaway, that's uh, that's quite a nice little tradition yeah. there. Right, let's get into Sunday's games, then, mate. Let's move across to second down. Second down. 
So I told you that potentially the worst team in the XFL reside on the east coast of America. And I am, of course, talking about the New York Guardians, who were absolutely obliterated, it has got to be said, in the Dome by the St. Louis Battlehawks. Great to see the fan reaction in St. Louis. Um, there's talk that even potentially for their game, ironically enough, against LA, that they may even open up the top tiers of the Dome. Um, there is that much love and support for the Battlehawks in St. Louis. So great that they get their home campaign up and running with a big win. Um, I have a confession to make. I, was, I had a cheeky little bet on this on Sunday and made myself a little bit of money. St. Louis were only minus 10 on the handicap and I just thought that was too good to turn down. And it certainly turned out that way, didn't it? Um, you know, completely in control of this one. Ran the ball at will. You know, they've got a nice um, one-two punch in the backfield with Matt Jones, who continues to lead the way, um, churning out yardage, 95 more yards on the ground in this one. And Christine Michael, 44 yards, and he also found the end zone in this one as well. The play that people will probably remember from this weekend, however, a little bit of XFL history. The first ever kickoff returned for a touchdown. We've talked a lot about the new rules, how they encourage the runbacks. Um, but it actually took a little bit of trickeration, didn't it? A little reverse lateral on the play. Um, and Joe Powell found himself running down the sideline um, and you know just about getting over the plane before he stepped out of bounds. So really exciting play on that one. Uh, in terms of the Guardians, good Lord, where do you start? Matt McGloin under the spotlight this week. Um, effectively played the first series and then, you know, I don't know. You sort of mentioned this last week, Michael. Is his heart actually in this? He certainly doesn't look interested, does he? Um, he did some sideline interviews. He didn't seem overly keen to actually get back into the ball game. Um, so Matt McGloin, you know, certainly not doing himself any favours from a PR standpoint. Marquise Williams took over um, behind centre. He, he did move the ball, but when he came down to needing a big throw or gain a conversion, it just wasn't there. Um, they ultimately end the game with Louis Perez, who um, was the third stringer on the day. He probably looked the most competent quarterback out of the few that they had on display, to be fair. Um, well, obviously only in a small sample size. But as much as anything, it was the discipline from, from uh, New York. It was just all over the place. There was plenty of full starts. You know, Obviously, the crowd noise would have had an impact in that. Um, but they constantly found themselves in first and 15 situations. When it came to the second half, when frustration started to boil over, there were several calls for unnecessary roughness and infringements after the play. Um, you know, again, just, just looking like a complete lack of organisation and discipline within the franchise. And they're just not moving the ball and creating any sort of offence. Um, when Perez did actually come into the game and, and got the touchdown on the board, it was actually the Guardians' first touchdown in 27 offensive possessions. So that week one win does feel like an awful long time ago now. Um, like I said right at the outset, though, thrilled for the Battlehawks. You know, great performance from them. Um, they seem to have a really good all-round unit there. Um, they will be very, very difficult to beat in their own building. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, go from here. Um, you know, but certainly a team that, again, is trending in the right direction. You know, if anyone thought this was a bit of a runaway league between the defenders 
and the Roughnecks after the first couple of weeks. I think they're going to have to reassess those um, opinions because certainly St. Louis might look like a team that's you know built to contend, um, you know, particularly with that home field advantage, which is probably going to be as strong as anybody's. Yeah, and I think this is a great effort for the league as well in terms of visiting markets that don't currently have a pro football team. As you mentioned, the attendance, and hopefully next week they do get the top tier open because that would just be, be great to see from a fan standpoint. But as for the on-field product, the Bottlehawks aren't disappointing. You know, great quarterback play, great defence, all-round ability to move the ball, stop other teams. They, they completely suffocated New York them and their fans alike so a great experience if you're a St. Louis fan and hopefully an even better average for the league Yeah no absolutely mate absolutely um, like you say it was a game that was always in control just give you some stats from this one um, Jordan Tamu probably had his um, quietest day um, behind centre he only actually threw for 119 yards leading receiver on the day um, was Alonzo Russell um, he only ended up with 36 receiving yards so it was definitely a day for the ball being on the ground, as we alluded to, Jones and Michael between them combined for 28 carries and 139 yards to go with the two touchdowns. Um, from a New York perspective, um, you know, plenty of um, receivers getting in on the action. Austin Duke ended up catching four balls and was the leading receiver for just 43 yards. McKeel McKay, who we had said was sort of potentially emerging as their big play, Weapon, if you like, he only ended up with one reception off just two targets. Um, you know, just not like I say, not a good day at all for uh, a New York perspective. Rushing the ball, they actually, you know, did fairly well there. They just got away from it, didn't utilize it all that often. Um, you know, Tim Cook and Darius Victor both averaged over five yards a carry. Um, but obviously always behind on the scoreboard. It just was never going to be a day for them. Rushing the ball with a great deal of regularity, unfortunately. Um, New York need to improve and they need to improve quickly, I would say. Last game of the weekend then, mate. You said this was the team that needed a win more than anybody coming into week three. And that, of course, is the LA Wildcats. And boy, did they take care of business against the previously undefeated Dallas Defenders. Uh, not Dallas Defenders, <laughs> DC Defenders. Yeah, well, I mentioned it earlier and I'll mention it again. Like, this is why we shouldn't overreact this is this is why we love football and this is why the xfl is just so exciting the team that had looked like a well-oiled machine had looked firing on all cylinders the dc defenders had traveled cross country to play against this horrible wildcats team that everybody expected this is going to be a slapping match four quarters see you later we'll go back home let me just give you a quick stat line 13 passes completed on 26 attempts for 103 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions. Now, and I have said that to you before this game and said that this would be the stat line of one of the two quarterbacks after the game, I'd say nine times out of ten, both you and I and everybody else who was going to watch this game would have said that that was Josh Johnson or whoever ended up under centre for the Wildcats. It wasn't. It was so-called touted MVP Cardale Jones who just, I don't know what happened. Whether it was the cross-country travelling, their first road game, just shit the bed, pardon my language. It just, it all went wrong. 
uh, a disastrous performance. He just he was making bad decisions. He was he just looked under pressure. He just looked out of his rhythm the whole day. It it was uncharacteristic for somebody who up until this point was undefeated as a starter and his team were undefeated. We actually seen on one of the players the broadcast went to Pep Hamilton in in the headset. And it was an interception that Jones had through and Hamilton was screaming, throw it away, throw it away. Jones tries to force a throw and it's just picked off. So when you go back and you actually watch the highlights of the game, you begin to wonder, is this a team issue? Is it, was this just a one-off? Was this an anomaly for them travelling? You know, I mean, it's a long journey to go the whole way across the United States, but they're professional athletes. They've all done it before. So questions will be asked, especially next week, you know, when we move on. How this how this DC team reacts. As for the other side of the ball, the Wildcats, well, not much to say other than they just had an absolute stormer of a day. Great performances all around. Josh Johnson, 18 to 25, 278 yards and three touchdowns. He found Trey McBride for two touchdowns. Nelson Spruce had another good day. He caught three catches for 75 yards. So it was a shocking win. I mean, I I had to I had to catch this one on the highlights, but I was I was keeping up with the score on the XFL app, and every time I refreshed it, I I definitely thought the app was either hacked or there was something really really untoward going on in LA that someone was messing with the scoreboard because LA just kept running it up and running it up, and my younger brother who has elected the DC Defenders as his team of choice and had been so smug of such over the first two weeks because he had picked them before the league actually started. Well, he was quite quite quiet this past Sunday evening, so that was a little one-up for me to get back on him as he had been claiming the bragging rights of the house. But maybe it just goes to show the moves that Winston Moss made after week one, maybe they're starting to come into effect. The two corners that had the two, two picks sorry, on Cardale Jones were both backup corners. The two starting corners, who actually his name I don't have at the minute, were both out. So two guys just taking their opportunity, getting a couple of picks, and really laying down a new identity for this Wildcats team who desperately needed this win. Yeah, no, it was a, a really, really impressive win. Um, like you say, I think a score that would have shocked an awful lot of people. Um, as you say, it was actually some guys you know, getting opportunities that really stepped up here. Martez Carter also at the backfield. He had himself a huge day, didn't he? Um, Elijah Hood, who had been the starting running back, obviously didn't go in this one. Um, Carter had himself a nice day. Trey McBride on the outside also had himself um, quite the game, didn't he? Um, you know, so some really, really impressive individual performances from LA. Um, interesting that they celebrated and um, gave Winston Moss a Gatorade shower for his first week, um, <laughs> first win. Only week three, probably a little premature. Um, but yeah, obviously you can see that that's a franchise, you know, complete opposite to what I just said about New York. You, you know, you can sense a togetherness, um, you know, and potentially a team trending in the right direction. Um, as you say, it'd be really interesting to see Cardell Jones now in week four. We'll probably get onto that in fourth down. Obviously, there's been an awful lot of talk about the fact that he hasn't ever lost a game since he effectively became the starting quarterback at Ohio State. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Right, mate, that's the games reviewed. Let's talk a little bit about our favourite subject, the TV ratings, and a little bit of DraftKings. Oh, 
I say it in jest that the TV ratings are one of our favourite things to talk about. They obviously aren't. They're completely and utterly boring, but the, the relevancy of them is important, isn't it? Because obviously lots and lots of focus on is the league still attracting the viewership? Is there still the interest and the demand for football in the springtime over in the States? You know, it's great that we've got some UK coverage. You know, we're being... Um, you know, over, overwhelmed really with the support that we've had for the first few weeks of covering the league. Um, you know, and we're thoroughly enjoying bringing it to you. But as we've said, it'll ultimately, you know, pass or fail, if you like, on how well it's received in the States. So some good news, mate, for week three. The viewing figures in the games that are at comparable time slots are up um, week on week, which is obviously really, really good to see. In terms of ticket sales and actual attendance at the stadiums, again, the four games combined this week carried a higher attendance number than in the previous week. We've already talked about the fact that St. Louis are considering opening up further sections of the stadium um, for their upcoming home games. So again, all things trending, mate, in a positive direction when it comes to viewership and obviously the entertainment that's being put out on the field is a big part of that. Yeah, and it's just Keep seeing we're going up and up. It's exciting, as I had mentioned in, in the last game review. The league seems to have hit everything right so far. There, thankfully, has been no massively wrong steps. Or I think perhaps the only thing is that they haven't, as I mentioned, visited more non-pro football cities or teams that don't have a football team. But to say that the ratings are, are still good on the TV and the people are still interested shows that it's not just a flash, a splash in the pan, and that hopefully we have XFL for many years to come, and not just a couple. Yeah, fingers crossed. Don't see any reason why not. Certainly at the moment, you know, I've said it several times. It's all about opportunities, um, you know, and it's certainly, in my opinion, much more entertainment on a Sunday night than dancing on ices at the minute. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, let's talk DraftKings. So, um, obviously, mentioned Adam is still running a weekly XFL league. Be great to get a few more of you involved this week. Get some um, tweets out to give you the directions to join that contest. We're gonna have to get you involved as well, Michael. I noticed you didn't enter a team this week, so we we should probably go head to head each week, mate. But we can do that as a little side bet, possibly. In terms of this yeah, week, like <laughs> in terms of this week, you would have been a happy bunny if you'd have selected any of the following players. Uh, Donald Pardon, we've mentioned him on the pod. Um, he put up over 30 DraftKings points. He was owned by 31% of all teams. Highest scoring player on the week, no surprise, Cam Phillips, the wide receiver for the Roughnecks, 48.4 points for Cam. Um, PJ Walker, highest scoring quarterback, again, probably no surprise there, 41.64 points. Uh, if you're looking for some value this week, we've mentioned around some of the guys for LA that had breakout days. How about Martez Carter? 30.5 points. He was owned by a grand total of 0.01% of all players playing XFL DraftKings this weekend. If you were one of those 0.01 people who picked him, congratulations. You had yourself one hell of a value pick there. Some other guys that probably would have got you great value, Trey McBride, we mentioned him. Less than half a percent of all teams had him. He put up over 30 points. And just a couple of others of note that have been sort of um, good week in and week out. Um, Dan Williams, Tampa, still consistent. You know, put up again over 13 points in this one. You mentioned Austin Prowl earlier, mate. He disappeared in week two, but back to week one form here with over 20 points. 
and Cameron Artis Payne, a name that we've mentioned again a few times on the pod. 17 points for him. Um, he's been owned by just over 18% of people this week, so his ownership certainly back up um, after people tended to desert him after the week one defeat. Um, DraftKings is a whole lot of fun. You don't have to spend a fortune to play it either. There are contests available for free as well as just for a few dollars. Obviously, if you want to put up some bigger money, you have that opportunity also. So get involved. Like I say, we'll tweet out the link to Adam's League. And, you know, like I say, it'd be great to get more and more people involved. Um, come and take us on. Why not? Um, right, mate. There has been a few transactions over the course of the last couple of days. Not going to go into them in great depth of detail. I think we'd be naive to think the people were completely au fait with who's on whose roster. Um, but if you are interested, please make sure you get yourselves over to xfl.com. Um, tracks all, obviously, the roster moves. Um, there's been a trade involving the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Tampa Bay Vipers today. Um, and, you know, all of the roster moves throughout the week will be on there. If there's anything of note, if all of a sudden, for argument's sake, PJ Walker is traded somewhere, we, of course, will let you know. Um, but while they're at the bottom end of the rosters, go and check them out um, via xfl.com. Right, mate, let's have a quick glance into the future then and preview week four as we move across to fourth down. Okay, then, mate, week number four is fast approaching and there are some tasty-looking games on the schedule. Uh, you're going to open up with Saturday um, and we open up the week with two one and two sides trending in opposite directions. Take it away, mate, LA and New York. Yeah, this is an important game for both teams, uh, especially New York, who sort of need to do something desperate to 180 the the trend they've been on this past couple of weeks and LA are definitely going to hope that they can continue from that that shock win at the weekend going back to New York it'll be interesting to see how many people actually make the journey out to the Meadowlands and into the MetLife because it was empty enough looking as it was in week one so after this disastrous couple of weeks it'll be interesting to see how many people actually bother to come out and watch I think this could be a game for Jordan Tamu to sort of stretch his legs, sort of make a statement that he he could be considered in, in this upper band of quarterbacks that we have in the league. Matt McGloin needs to do something to either save his job, save his roster position, save his team. I don't know what exactly it is he needs to do, but he needs to stop acting how he's been acting this past couple of weeks and start putting points on the board for his team. I think... Based on how things have been going, momentum's a massive thing. I think LA go on the road this week and get a win, which seems sort of contradictory to everything we've just spoken about through the podcast and how going on the road and especially going cross-country can be detrimental. But I think momentum outweighs travel in this case. In this case, not all cases, because they will be so high off that, that shock win that they'll, they'll carry that over to New York. Um, in the in the late game, sorry, pardon me, just to mention the bad nods and that, LA are opening up on a minus seven point for that game. So, interesting to just to have a look at how the desert are viewing this one. I thought maybe after last week it might have been a bit of a bigger deficit, especially considering how New York had played. But, again, never never get ahead of ourselves as, as we've learned over these opening three weeks. Yeah, Saturday, look, sorry, go ahead. So it looks a good bet on the face of it, that doesn't it? Like you say, New York have been struggling to move the ball. You know, the Wildcats off the back of 
39 points. Um, it does look a good bet, potentially. I think the, the things that you've said there, though, might absolutely ring true, don't they? Um, you know, difficult to go on the road and win anywhere, um, as we know, at whatever level of, of football. That's why home field advantage is so craved in the NFL in terms of playoff positions, isn't it? Um, but the Guardians, the New York market, as we know, probably the least patient of anybody. Um, so, as you say, we really, really interesting to see how many turn up. And obviously, if New York get off to a bad start, you can, you know, potentially already hear the boos ringing out from the stands. I, I think LA minus seven is a good little bit there. I really do. Sorry, mate. On you go. So then we move into Saturday night. We have the Seattle Dragons, the one and two Seattle Dragons going to St. Louis and the Dome of America Centre to the two and one Battlehawks. Sticking with the theme of Baden, St. Louis are opening 12 point favourites on this one. And to be honest, I can't see any reason why I would disagree with this. Last week and the week before have been really trending upwards in terms of their on-field play, their momentum, their camaraderie as a team, and especially to be in that building once again. I think it's only going to grow from there. As you said, we're looking at a, at a city that's really embracing having a pro football team back within the city. And to bring Seattle into this, who have been poor these past couple of weeks, is sort of throwing them into... well. Doing the exact opposite, actually. I was going to say throwing them into the Dragon's stand, but sure, they are the Dragons and they're not <laughs> at home. But it, it, it's going to be a tricky game on the road for them, regardless. I think Brant Silvers, Jim Zorn really need to figure something out that's going to shock the St. Louis team. I don't think there's much that you can do to shock them, but something needs to be done. I think I just mentioned that last week in the LA game that I was I talking about Jordan Tommy. Hmm, I think I've got my quarterbacks mixed up. Anyway, I think this is the game where he really gets going. I think he does what he needs to do and put this team in, in winning positions and cement them as one of the, the top teams going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Like you say, um, you did get them mixed up. I, I didn't pick you up on it. You picked yourself up on it. You were obviously referring to Josh Johnson earlier. I will give you the benefit yeah. of the doubt. Um, yeah, I think you know, 12 points is a big spread to cover. But, um, you know, again, like you say, you would fancy that St. Louis would potentially be able to um, take care of business there. Um, you know, Seattle's defence against the pass obviously struggled against Landry Jones. So it'll be interesting to see if Tamo gets more going through the air. Um, we just mentioned that it was very much dominated on the ground and special teams against the Guardians. So it'll be interesting to see if they change tact. Um, right, mate, let's get into Sunday. And Sunday, first and foremost, just to let everybody know, Change of time again, unfortunately, on Sunday. It's going back another hour for the UK viewers. It's a nine o'clock kickoff on Sunday night for the opening game. So we started at seven, we went to eight, and now we're back to nine o'clock, unfortunately. But it will probably be the best game of the weekend. And that, of course, is the Houston Roughnecks on the road at the Dallas Renegades. Dallas off the back of two impressive road wins. Come back home, so Landry Jones gets his first you know, taste of home field advantage in the XFL. And I think this is going to be a really good marker for how good both of these franchises actually are. The Roughnecks obviously undefeated, um, obviously riding the crest of a wave at the moment in terms of PJ Walker and Cam Phillips, as we've mentioned several times throughout the broadcast. But Dallas will be buoyed by the improvements in the last two weeks. 
Stoops and Jones obviously go back a long way to their college days together. They've been a pretty formidable duo throughout their time together. And you would fancy that Dallas will certainly be up for this one in the Battle of the South. Um, I think this is a really, really intriguing matchup. It could go either way, um, just in terms of the betting for this one. And this is interesting. The Roughnecks are only actually a minus one underdog in this one. Um, and that goes to show how much credit, if you like, is being given to the Renegades in this one. So, the, you know, the bookies are expecting a close game. Both of Sunday's games are close, actually. I'll obviously get to the last one in a moment. Um, but considering the Roughnecks, mate, are undefeated, not fancied all that much on the road. I think that's a sign of how far Dallas have come. This has surely got to be the game of the weekend, hasn't it? Yeah, I think this is this is going to be pro- hopefully one of, one of the better games that we've seen all season. Uh, I think you could be looking at quite a high scoring affair, as you said. PJ Walker just there's something wrong with him. He can't stop putting up points on the board. So hopefully he keeps that going this week uh, and provides another entertaining game for us. Dallas will be wanting to right the wrongs of week one and get get a home win, which I think at Globe Life Park I think we'll actually see quite a packed stadium. I know it's another one of those bigger stadiums where they can look quite empty, but based on how their team's done this past couple of weeks, I think we could see attendance numbers up again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you say, three such things as a local derby in the XFL, this is probably as good as it gets, isn't it? So that will certainly probably bring a few more numbers in as well. Last game of the weekend then. Um, I think there's a, quite a lot of intrigue in this one, to be honest. The Vipers at home again, obviously still looking to find their way onto the scoreboard in terms of the win column. They host the DC Defenders, and as we said, you know, this is Cardale Jones' first ever game suiting up after a defeat. It'd be really interesting to see how he goes. I'm sure that Dallas, I've said it again, Dallas, DC, would have loved um, a home game off the back of that, um, but obviously they will be on the road again. For Tampa, I'm really intrigued as to what's actually going on with Aaron Murray, to be honest. He was day-to-day in terms of his status for week two, and now here you go, he's missed week three. So it'll be interesting to see if he's actually good to go or not. If he's not, I would expect to see a lot more of Quinton Flowers. You know, I'm, I'm still of the of the view that he should be utilised more as a bit of a gadget-type player. I think Tyson Hill, for your NFL comparison, come in for a few series and a few plays, um, but certainly not necessarily the whole offensive game plan. Um, you know, but it'll be interesting to see if Tampa can actually get on the board. Um, although I've got obviously my fandom confessed for the Vipers, my best friend's actually a DC Defenders supporter, so there'll be a little bit of rivalry this week as well. No doubt I'll come out on the losing side as I always do in these things, but uh, it will be interesting nonetheless. Uh, my football team are actually playing in the League Cup final on Sunday. Aston Villa will probably have been hammered by Manchester City by the time this one kicks off. Um, so it might be an awful Sunday for me, but let's go with optimism. The Villa will win and the Vipers will get on the board for the first time. I mentioned the betting briefly. The defenders are only actually a one-point favourite, so again, mate, I think that's a sign of that improvement we've talked about from Tampa and also, obviously, like I said, that intrigue just to see whether DC can bounce back or not. This will show massively how, how what sort of state both of these teams are in. Um, that loss could be fracturing for DC. It could sort of really derail them in the progress that they've made so far. Or it could really sort of give Pap Hamilton an excuse to say, listen, we've had our low, we've, we've went through our bit of a purple patch, let's come out the other side and get back on the form that we were. I think if you're a Tampa fan, yourself included, this would probably be the exact time in which you would want to play DC. 
because had they have steamrolled LA last week, well, then you would be somewhat quaking in your boots in the fear of a complete whitewash. But I don't think we're going to get that. I'm not sure who I think the winner will be yet. I still <laughs> I need to give it a bit more thought. It, it's going to be a close one, I think, because we've seen now that Tampa do have the ability to put points on the board when they actually want to, when they start playing. So, again, DC on the road, Tampa at home, good mix, good game, roll on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely, indeed. Um, like I say, it will be an interesting weekend of football. You know, I think there's intrigue in each and every one of those games for different reasons. Um you know, we haven't talked too much yet about, you know, the sort of playoff picture. It seems early, doesn't it, after three weeks? But obviously just in a 10-week season. Um, I don't think it's too early to call this must-win for Tampa. Surely if they drop to 0-4, they can forget about the playoffs, I would have imagined. Um, so they really do need, I would suggest, to get in the win column this weekend. Right, mate, the referees are running in. Let's get out of here. Must be time for the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. As usual for you, just a quick recap, all things full 10 yards. Get over to the website for the articles that are coming your way. There's plenty of focus, obviously, now on the NFL draft. So mock drafts are coming up. Um, Tim's published his first one of the off-season. So go and check that one out. Obviously, if you are missing the NFL and you want to relive your season, for your particular franchise, then go and check out the season in review articles. I think that series, I'm right in saying, has now been concluded. So all 32 teams are available for you. Go and give them a read. Audio-wise, Lee recorded a college football podcast specifically looking at the Combine, what it's all about, what's involved. Um, go and check that out. Very informative stuff. And the NFL podcast released on Tuesday evening, um, wide receiver focus for this week. Get involved with the quiz and all the stuff that we do in terms of the NFL pod week to week. Um, in terms of XFL stuff, um, takeaways are up. It is Tuesday, so go and get your takeaway. Um, obviously, the written format of week three that was. And Michael's game previews will land before the action kicks off on Saturday, um, ahead of another exciting weekend of football. I think that wraps us up nicely, mate. Apologies to the DC defenders. I must have called them the Dallas defenders multiple times on tonight's podcast, which, trust me, was not intentional. So I do apologise for that. And hopefully me and Michael will have our throats cleared up, ready for next week's edition. So with that being said, it's goodbye from Michael. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And of course, as always, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media at Full 10 Yards and check out all our content over at Full10Yards.com. This has been the Full 10 Yards XFL podcast for the love of football.